Good morning. Well, there's no doubt about it that the Apostle John, as an older man, was far different than he was as that young man who first met Jesus. Long gone was that thunderous personality of that young fisherman. After all, you don't get the nickname Son of Thunder by having a personality as gentle as rain, do you? And so in the last few years of Jesus' life, of John's life rather, he's known as the apostle who has the message, God loves you and you love one another with the love that God has for you. And if you'll do that, you'll find a life that's complete, filled with joy, and you'll get to live with God forever and take someone with you. It was a great message, wasn't it? There's no doubt in John's mind no doubt about it that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. No doubt about it that that testimony that John writes about in his gospel is absolutely true. That Jesus is the Christ that was promised, the Son of God. And those who believe in him will have eternal life. At the, near the very end of his first letter, John writes that there's no doubt about it that those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who is the Messiah, that you will know that they have eternal life. And so John brings these two points together in a very familiar verse, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will have what? Everlasting life. You will never perish. When the Bible speaks of God's love for us, it's just astounding, isn't it? God's love for you is abundant. It's everlasting. It's great. It's precious. It's faithful. See what great love the Father has lavished upon you that you should be called children of God, and that's what you are. See, God sees you as his child, and when he sees you as his child, he lavishes his love upon you, and he knows when he does that, that you will love him and love him deeply, and that you will trust and know and rely that one day you will have this eternal house made with God's hands to live with him forever. Yet there are many who doubt that God's a loving God. There are many who even doubt that there is a God, right? The hardships, the rejections, the sufferings, the evil, the injustice, the questions, the things that are hard to understand, the confusion, the crisis, the events in our world makes it easy for some to doubt that God even exists or that God even loves them. So I want to point you today to 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21. I believe that anyone from these verses can see that God is love and that he loves you. And that's not a bumper sticker or some church sign you read. Smile, God loves you. It's a fact. It's true. God is love and God loves you. 1 John 4, 7 through 21 shows us who God is the proof of his love, the assurances that God loves us, and yes, even the command that we're to love one another. Explains to us why Jesus says that the greatest mark that a Christian can ever leave in this world is by loving someone else. The greatest mark. So as I read to you 1 John 4, 7 through 21, I want you to hear it and I want you to listen and just soak in the incredible greatness of God's love. What it means that God is love and love is from God. 
And I hope we all leave this lesson affirmed. There's no doubt about it that God is love and that he loves me. Here's the verse. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now this is how we know we live in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit, and we've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Perfect love cast, drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And whoever claims to love God yet would hate his brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. What incredible verses, right? The love of God and love is from God. Did you notice how many different times and in different ways that John is telling us that there's no doubt that God loves us. No doubt that God is the one who gives his love that wants to dwell inside each and every one of us. It's interesting to me that not one time does he talk about my feelings or my circumstances as evidence that God is love. There are times in life when we have to look beyond our feelings and our experiences to get the big picture of what our life is really all about. And that's very difficult to do, isn't it? Because most of our life is experienced through our senses. And yet we know the Bible tells us that we're to live by what? By faith and not by sight. Not just by our senses. That there's something more to this life than just what we experience or feel. And this is one of them. God is love. And he loves you. There's no doubt about it. Now, faith is developed through the Word of God. So you're going to have to be in the Word of God to really develop that sort of removing that doubt. The Word of God's to be your compass, isn't it? It's where you get your knowledge and your wisdom and your understanding and your discernment and your perspective. It's where you get the comfort. It's what's used by God to remove any doubt about his love for us and that he's love. 
And so when you go to God's word this year, each day you read it, bring with it that attitude of faith. God, I'm going to trust in your word. I know by faith I'm going to accept what you say motivates you to do what you do for me. I'm going to accept that by faith. For his love's an everlasting love. His love is a faithful love. His love surpasses any knowledge that we have about love as human beings. And there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God through Christ Jesus. So there's no doubt about it when John writes these scriptures for us that he's telling us that God loves us. Now let's go to verses 7 through 8. Back to verses 7 through 8. And it's clear from here, these verses when you see them, that God is love and that love is from God. Now we all understand there's different types of love, right? I love my house, but I really love the people in the house that make it a home. I love certain kind of foods. I love certain sports teams. I love certain things. I love certain people. God has given us the ability to love and express love in so many different ways. Loving my kitchen is real. Loving the people in that kitchen is real, just as real. Are you with me? There's different kinds of love. Aren't you glad God made us loving creatures, loving people, the capacity to love? The highest form of love is called agape love. You're not born with it. It's not natural. It's given to you in your spiritual birth. It is the gift of love. It's the love that God calls you to him to begin with. And you experience it. And you want it being part of his family forever. This love is a choice. It's faithful. It's sacrificial. It seeks the highest good for someone else without ever wanting anything in return. And it's mentioned over 200 times in the New Testament. This agape love. So for me, agape love is loving others the way God loves you. The love of God that's poured into me, that's poured out into others. Now, why is that important that I love others the way God loves me? Because God tells me to love him with agape love. And God tells me to love myself the way I love, the way God loves me. And God tells me to love others the way God loves me. And God even tells me that I must love my enemies with the love of God. So there, I am to love others, church family and all, and family members and all, and friends and all, neighbors and all, myself and all, and God and all, and even my own enemies. And you say, I can't do that. There's no way I can possibly do that. Love others the way God loves me. And you're absolutely right. It, you cannot. You cannot love others the way God loves you on your own. But by faith in Christ, God does this incredible miracle with this new nature that you have. He pours his love into you so that you can love others the way God loves you. And by the Holy Spirit transforming you more and more into the image of Christ, you not only can, but you're able and capable to pour that love of God in you into the lives of others you could never love before. You can't explain it. You don't understand it. 
but you know it comes from a higher source, and you're right, it comes from God. It doesn't come from you. After all, if you stop and think about it, and you really look at the Scriptures deeply, we all realize that we're sinners that have fallen what? Short of the glory of God. You know what sin does? It's more than just missing the mark. It's more than just miss making a mistake. It's total alienation from God. It's condemnation from God. It is guilt-induced and guilt that cannot be removed by anything we ever do. It's damnation to the soul. Total alienation from God. That's what sin does to us. And yet, God makes a choice. God chooses, and aren't you glad he chose to love us back and to give us a way out and to reconcile us back unto him instead of writing us off, instead of giving up on us, instead of punishing us. He shows us what agape love, that highest form of love is all about. Paul describes agape love as what it isn't and what it is. What it isn't, it's not envious or boastful or full of pride. It isn't dishonoring others to build yourself up. It isn't easily angered. It isn't self-seeking based on what's best for me. It isn't keeping score of how many times somebody's wronged me before I can write them off. It isn't delighting in evil. It isn't that. Then what is it? It's patient. It's kind. It rejoices in truth. It protects. It trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. It's everlasting, and it's part of the big three essentials of life, faith, hope, and love. And of course, of the three, the greatest of that is what? Love. That's the agape love. Not only is love from God, John tells us, but it is God. Love is God. Love is the essence of God. The essence of God is His holiness, His light, and His love. And God is that source of perfect love that he pours into our new born-again spiritual nature that is to be used in the lives of other people as well as ourselves. There is no doubt about it that God is love and that love is from God. And I know that by the proof that he gives me. Drop down to verse 9 through 10 of what we read. How do I know that he loves me? I know that because of Jesus Christ. Because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ, the hardest, cruelest, sinful event that ever took place on this planet happened in the life of Jesus Christ. God sent his son Jesus out of his incredible great love for us. Not when we deserved it, not when we were ready for it, not when we made our way closer to him. But he who knew no sin became my sin, that sinful me might be declared sin-free. On that cruel cross of Calvary, God's great love was poured out onto us. And there's absolutely no way, no how, that you or anyone else can ever redeem you of the sin in your life. There's absolutely no way to have the guilt and the condemnation of that sin removed from you and the stain of that sin removed from you, except through Jesus Christ. And that's the proof of God's love. God loved us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? He's our atoning sacrifice. If God didn't love you, 
He would have left you in your sins. He would have left you condemned, guilty, and lost in your sins, and you would have absolutely no way of ever receiving forgiveness of them. Here's the proof of his love for you. Don't doubt it. There's no doubt about it, that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, for Christ has set me free from sin and death. Amen? That's what he's done for us. Now, there's no doubt about that. Now, I did not actually ever see Jesus die on the cross for my sins. I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. But you know, I've seen the atoning sacrifice of Jesus work in my life to purify my heart, to cleanse my soul, to remove the stain of my sin and the condemnation of my, doubt, of my guilt. There's no doubt about it that God's proof that he loves us is what he did for us through Jesus Christ. But then look in verse 11 and 12, there, there's another tangible proof that God loves us. It's how you can know right now. At some fixed point in time, our Lord's going to return. Amen? There'll be no mistaking his return or we're going to, did he really come back or not? We're all going to know it. It's going to be crystal clear. Peter says, meanwhile, many will question it. Some will mock it. And some will rebuke you for talking about the return of Christ as being the truth. But it is true. Because God loved you enough to send the son the first time. God loves you enough to send them a second time for his return. Others sometimes say, you know, I just wish I could just see God just once in my life. If I could just see him once, I would believe. You ever felt that way? Just give me a sign. Let me see you one time. It would be nice to have that experience like some in the Word of God had, right? Absolutely. But I'm thankful we don't have to depend upon an actual physical appearance of Jesus or God to be saved by him, aren't you? I'm thankful you don't have to do that. And yet what he tells us in these verses, here's proof. You do see God. You know when you see God in this world? When you as a Christian love one another with the love that God has inside of you. When you display the love of God towards others, you love others the way God loves you, that's proof. Because you know you're loving people with a love you can never do on your own. You know the love you're showing to someone you know, I don't know how I'm even able to even talk to that person. You say, that's not for me. That, that's proof to me that God, God's real. God is love and that love is from him that's coming from me. Are you seeing what I'm saying? That's the proof that John points to as well. So there's no doubt about the proof. Jesus' atoning sacrifice. You loving others the way God loves you. And then John goes to the assurances that you have. Now, look in verse 13 through 16. There's a couple of these assurances. How do you know? He says here, we know and rely on the love God has for us. What assurance do I have that God loves me and that God is love? First assurance, he says, is I have the Holy Spirit. As a child of God, I received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And how do I know I received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Because you believe the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and you confess Jesus is the Son of God. How do I know that's receiving the Holy Spirit? Because the Bible tells me no one confesses Jesus Christ as Lord except through and by the Holy Spirit. It's God leading you, directing you, drawing you, calling you by the Spirit of God, by His love, to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. 
And now you're part of that group in this world who gives this testimony that Jesus is the Son of God, that God is our Father, and we rely and trust in Him. So the first assurance you have is your faith, your testimony from the Holy Spirit that Jesus is Lord. Amen? That's a great assurance. Because you do come in contact with people who will doubt that, right? Who don't live it out. You live that because you're assured of that. Here's a second assurance. Notice, there's no doubt about it, he says, when you look at this, that we will know and rely on the love God has for us. We rely upon that. Now, you might doubt that God loves you because he doesn't answer all your prayers the way you think he should. I believe that prayer that should create probably the greatest faith in us is the one area where it creates the greatest doubt at times. It's interesting about prayer, isn't it? You look and say, I prayed to God. I've had the faith that Christ had me, asked me to have in that. And I prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it. And nothing happens. Why doesn't God answer me? You're not trying to be shallow in your assessment. You're not trying to be critical in that assessment. You're just disappointed, aren't you? You needed an answer. And you just like the Psalms and others that Lynn referred to earlier that express that same sort of, why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you listening? Why won't you give me an answer? And we all experience that. Why is it when I pray to God for something and ask for it by faith, I receive no answer? If God loves me, at least he could tell me no and I could move on, right? Anyone ever felt that way? So what assurance do we have? Because to me, prayer is the most difficult thing of all. Of all the disciplines, prayer is very difficult for this very reason. And I think it has to do with our expectation of prayer. Most of us have an expectation of prayer that we are to receive something from God in prayer. And if I receive something from God, then I will go back to him in prayer to receive more. And if I receive more from God, then I will continue to pray to God for more. But if the pipe gets turned off, if the faucet stops running, then I'm going to pray less because I'm not receiving more. Does that make sense? So without, subconsciously, our prayer life is based upon performance. If God performs, then I will reply or I will continue to pray. But if he stops performing, then I got to look somewhere else. And so our expectation of prayer is more about receiving. Now listen to me, more about receiving than reliance. Is prayer about changing things or about changing me? Is prayer more about getting stuff from God or learning to trust in God no matter what happens? To be able to put the, the stick in the ground and say, I don't care what happens in life, I will trust you and rely upon you and the great love you have for me no matter what. Here is my firm stance. Now, if prayer, we come to God and we can learn that it's more about reliance and trust than receiving, we're going to receive a great gift from God because we're going to leave each prayer no matter what. I don't understand why he didn't say anything. I don't understand why he answered it that way. I don't understand why things are doing the, what they're doing. I have no idea what God is doing, but I rely and trust on God. In him, I put my hope because God is love and love is from God and he's shown that to me through his son, Jesus Christ. That's prayer. 
Don't make your love conditional towards God. God, I will pray, I will lean upon you based upon what you've done for me recently or what you've not done. And I realize it's more complicated than that. But it's a start, isn't it? Lord, I'm bringing this before you. I'm going to trust you. I don't know how you're going to answer this. That's not my area. That's above my pay scale. But I t you told me to bring it to you. I'm bringing it to you. I'm trusting and relying upon you to answer it because I know you love me. And the love you have for me is the highest form of love. You will always, always, without exception, do what is best. So there's the assurance, the prayer connects us to God. So we grow and develop where we lean and trust God cares, God is compassionate, God is capable, God is in control. Now let me submit my will to yours. That's sort of prayer. Because I believe God has a purpose, a plan, and he always does what is best. Does that make sense? That's the expectation of prayer. That's the assurance. First assurance, you have the Holy Spirit. Second assurance, you have this connection with God through prayer, to lean and trust upon him. The third, the third one is found in verse 17 through 18. Here's the third assurance. You might possibly think that God cannot love you and forgive you for what you've done. You might have already accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and you believe intellectually that God forgives and God's a forgiver, but he cannot forgive you. You cannot let go of that past sin. And it's harming your relationship with God. Because instead of living in love, you're living in fear. Instead of living in hope, you have a silent terror of judgment. Instead of living in the peace and the reconciliation of God, you're fearful that you may not be in that. When all along God has said, when I forgive you, I forgive you completely. And I want you to listen to me very closely here. God's forgiveness is not like human forgiveness. And this is where we make the mistake sometimes. We believe that God's forgiveness is like a human's forgiveness. God can forgive you when humans cannot or when humans will not. Do you understand me? You may never receive forgiveness from someone that you need to receive forgiveness from in this world because they don't want to or they can't. And that's just the fact of life. So you're left with that. And the most difficult thing in life to do is walk in the confidence of being forgiven by God when those around you are saying, uh-uh, you're not forgiven. Don't you can move away from this. We're not through with this. Can you relate to that? That's the most difficult time to walk in forgiveness and assurance because everyone around you is not doing that. And it absolutely wears your mind out and your peace and you begin to think, well, if they can't forgive me, then God probably doesn't forgive me as well. I want you to listen very clear, clearly. Those people in your life may never forgive you. They may never want to forgive you. They have no interest in being reconciled back to you and will never pursue that. But if you've trusted and relied upon God and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, God is taking that sin that stain, that guilt, that condemnation, he's thrown it into the depths of the sea to remember no more. And he says, why are you still living in that guilt? You've done everything you can. Move forward. 
Walk in the confidence and the assurance of the forgiveness that I give you in Christ Jesus and never let it go. You don't have to live in silent terror of the Lord. As a Christian, when you confess your sins to Jesus, he is faithful and just and cleanses you of all unrighteousness. Do you believe that? That's the confidence. That's the assurance. That's why John says there is no fear in that kind of love. There is no doubt about it that when God forgives, he forgives completely. His perfect love drives out that, drives out that condemnation. His perfect love draws us to that assurance of his forgiveness. That perfect love destines us to live with God forever in heaven with no fear of punishment because we received his forgiveness. And destines us to live a life here, not under condemnation, not walking with your head down and shameful and, and saying, I can never get my life back again. No, he says, you will walk like Jesus. The Holy Spirit will take your life and transform you and empower you and make you like Jesus in this world. What did Jesus do in this world? He came to seek and save the lost. He came to teach others about the love of God, the forgiveness of God. He came to serve others, to be the light and the salt of this world. And John says, you're the same way. You're a follower of Jesus. You have the assurance of the Holy Spirit. You have a ministry from the Holy Spirit. You have the teaching from the Holy Spirit. You have the intercession of the Holy Spirit. You have the assurance and the reliance that God is in control and capable and loving and he's going to take care of everything. And you have the assurance that there's no punishment for you when you get to heaven. There's no silent terror. Walk like Jesus walked. Walk in the faith and confidence of Jesus Christ. You seek and save the lost. You teach others about the love of God. You teach others like Paul did about his forgiveness. Paul said, I was the chiefest of sinners, and yet God saved me. He rescued me. He transferred me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Paul says, if he can do that with me, the chiefest of sinners, he can do that for you as well. You have a story to tell. You have a message to send. And your message is, here's where I messed up. Here's my sin. Here's how I alienated myself from God and from others. But God in his great love, his great mercy, his great power forgave me, brought me into his family, transforms me, makes me into the person I'm supposed to be. And I walk in that love, not fear. I walk in that assurance, not condemnation. And I walk in that destiny to be like Jesus on this earth and to walk in the destiny that one day I will live with God because perfect love cast out fear. Be the salt in the earth. Now with all that in mind, and that's a lot, isn't it? He now points to the command of God. God is love. He's shown his proof of his love. He's given us his three assurances of his love. He says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk in that love. Look in verses 19 through 21. We've already mentioned them in passing. Let's tie it all together. We are to love one another. Jesus said, the world will know you as my followers by how you love one another. The greatest mark you will ever leave on this planet will be how you love other people with the love of God, the way God loves you. Paul said that the only thing that counts, this is interesting, the only thing that counts is a faith that expresses itself through love. And the only reason we can love like that is because God first loved us like that. See it? And there can be no doubt about it that God wants us to leave all our hatreds behind. 
We cannot come here or be at home worshiping God and saying, oh God, I love you, and hold on to the hatred of someone else. We all want to follow Jesus and keep our prejudice, our bitterness, our envy, our jealousies, our hatreds, our gossip, our impurities, our lust, our greeds, and our angers. And there's no doubt about it that God says, no, I want you to get rid of those things because that's the way the world treats one another and you're part of my family and you love others the way I love you. You're my child, I'm your father, you have my nature in you, you have your, my love in you, and I want you to love them the way I love you. No doubt about it, that's what God says. And he says, I want you to pour the love I poured into you, pour it back in the life of others. That's the command I give you. What does that look like? I'll be patient and kind and humble and patient. I will bear with one another. I will forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven me. And all that will be held up in unity because of the love of God. There's no doubt about it. When we love one another, when we make our lives built upon how God has loved us, that there's a great blessing in it. It's what God commands us to do. God loves us. He makes it clear to us that if he loves us, we're to love others. And the proof is that Christ died for our sins. And the proof is when we show that love to each other. And the assurance is the Holy Spirit, prayer life, reliance upon God, no condemnation in heaven. And then we in turn learn to love each other. So let me affirm to you this morning, God loves you. There's no doubt about it. If you need to respond to Lord's invitation anyway, whether you're online or here, uh, please write the address on the screen if you're watching online, or please make your way to the front and meet with one of our elders or meet with them after services today. But let's make that decision to leave here in the love of God. Amen? Let's now sing together. <laughs>